Hello and welcome to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry. We continue with season 10 where we are looking at the Marvel Cinematic Universe and for episode 96 we're going to be looking at the highly anticipated comic book adaptation of the 2015 action comedy Ant-Man. Based on the comics by Stan Lee and directed by Peyton Reed, the film stars Paul Rudd as the title character, along with Michael Douglas, Corey Stoll, Michael Pena, Evangelina Lilly, Judy Greer and Bobby Cannavale. Spider-Man, Batman, Catwoman, Black Widow, Wolfman, and now we have Ant-Man, this animal-related incident that merges with everyday humans that causes them to have superpowers that relate or reflect the traits of that certain animal that bite them or infect them in some way. I mean, not all animal splices of work for the greater good, just ask Jeff Goldblum when he was in the fly. So Ant-Man... A little history lesson on our criminal diminutive friend. He wasn't always a criminal. That's right. Scott Lang wasn't the original Ant-Man. It was, in fact, Michael Douglas's character, Dr. Hank Pym, who was the first initial Ant-Man, created by Larry Leiber, Jack Kirby, and, of course, Stanley back in 1962, where Ant-Man, a.k.a. Hank Pym, made his appearance in Tales to Astonish. And they do a nice little reference in the film. Corey Stoll shouts out that very title in the movie, a nice reference to the first introduction of Ant-Man. Now, three men have taken the mantle of the famous Ant-Man. You have Dr. Hank Pym, Scott Lang, and Eric O'Grady. Now, of course, the film shows two of those. In the comics, Dr. Henry Hank Pym, that's his actual name, decides to become a superhero after the death of his first wife, Maria, who died in Hungary. Later, he finds out she was murdered by corrupt policemen and thus fighting his fight for justice. He creates what is known as the Pym Particle that allows him to alter his size and, more interestingly, communicates with ants. So you have the usual super strength and agility, but so do pretty much of all the other Avengers, so I won't even go on about that. The thing that makes him unique is he can change his size, and he can communicate with amps. Uh, Ants, not amps. Uh, The pin particle is seen quite dramatically in Avengers Endgame, where Cap and Iron Man have to retrieve more particles to get back to the present. Dr. Pym was crucial in the fights during World War II, and in some comics, crossed paths with Captain America as they fought side by side during the Second World War. In the comics, Scott Lang takes over the Ant-Man. Well, I say take over. He steals the Ant-Man costume to save his daughter from a heart condition. And Eric O'Grady, the third one and the last character to take up the mantle, he's a low-level agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. who simply stumbles upon the suit in the S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters. However, as time has did its sting, uh, MCU wanted to do a politically friendly hero as everyone wants to do these days in some sense because scott is still a criminal but the first and the original ant-man was passed aside because henry hank pym in the comics developed seven uh, several about seven or eight personalities one of which abuses his girlfriend it just wasn't that friendly they could have just told or not told that aspect but considering how everything and how woke everything is at the moment someone somewhere would have said something so they shifted to the criminal scott lang and used pym as a sort of mentor and supporting character played by michael douglas douglas only took the role because he said that many of his films are r-rated and his kids can't watch them and his kids were starting to grow up now teenagers and started to want to you know watch their dad's film so like Romance in the Stone or even Wall Street. And even those are quite grown-up films. Good thing they didn't watch Disclosure or Basic Instinct. So he accepted the role without any hesitation. So he uh, had a film to show his kids, which is actually quite cool. 
He actually celebrated his 70th birthday on set. He was given a very nice cake, fake ants crawling over a film reel made of sponge. Paul Rudd even joked around with him and even recreated the famous Sharon Stone basic instinct scene to Douglas. I don't think he was quite impressed. Um, so yeah, he celebrated his 70th birthday on set. He also had the same birthday as another uh, star of the movie, the person who plays Dave. I mean, I think his name is T1. Uh, he had the same birthday as Michael Douglas, but I don't think he was 70. So, originally this film was early in pre-production, and they already had hired Edgar Wright, and he had written several scripts for the movie. Edgar Wright, if you don't know who he is, is the man behind the famous Peg Frost Blood and Ice trilogy, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and The World End. Great films. He was also wooed over American audiences with his films Baby Driver and Scott Pilgrim. So he has the man, yeah, they had the man behind Ant-Man for a, well, for a moment, or what they thought. So he told Marvel that, you know, sort of to refrain from using Ant-Man or the Wasp in any of the other movies until he had finished this movie, which is why they were absent in the Avengers or any of the other movies before Ant-Man. And let's not forget that Ant-Man is one of the original members of Avengers in the comics, so it was actually quite hard for them to make that deal. So this film is actually the first solo Avenger who hasn't appeared in a previous Marvel Cinematic Universe film before his own solo movie since the original four movies which were made, which was Iron Man, Incredible Hulk, Thor, and Captain America, the first Avenger. Because Nick Fury first appears in Iron Man, Black Widow first appears in Iron Man 2, Hawkeye first appears in Thor, Vision and Wonder in Age of Ultron, and Spider-Man and Black Panther both in Civil War, that makes Ant-Man the first solo Avenger movie without any appearances before, and that was due to Edgar Wright. Now, speaking of Spider-Man, Ant-Man is the first film in the MCU to reference him when Louise is doing his flashback, and his cousin near the end of the film is like, a guy that can jump, a guy that can swing, a guy that can climb on walls, so if you actually picked up on that, they're talking about Spider-Man. Like I said, you've got to keep your eyes and ears open. They did this recently with uh, a reference to Blade, where he is referenced by Owen Wilson's character in the miniseries Loki, so look out for that if you didn't get that. Anyways, coming swiftly back to Ant-Man and the director of the time of it, Mr. Edgar Wright. So Marvel Studios thought they picked the right guy. He was developing it way back in 2003, even before he was hired. So he was really passionate about Ant-Man. He was a big fan of it. He described the movie as an action-adventure comedy across genre action and special effect bonanza, as he puts it. However, in 2014, he dropped out due to creative differences with Disney, which had brought out by uh, Marvel Studios five years prior. Simon Pegg, his close friend, had read the script that was never used, and he said it was exciting, daring, and something completely original. I guess we should never see that version. But like I said, he wrote about six or seven different scripts, and they did use one of his scripts for the movie. So one of the reasons Wright had a slight conflict with Disney about his vision was he wanted this movie to completely stand alone from the rest. No references to any of the other movies or any of the other Marvel characters. And Marvel didn't like that. Even though he dropped out of the movie, a large portion of the script that he wrote is still in the story, which is why he's still credited. He was also responsible for the casting of Michael Douglas, Evangelina Lilly, Michael Pina, and Ant-Man himself Paul Rudd Edgar Wright personally chose Paul Rudd for Scotland based on his natural charm and charisma which would help audiences like his character despite him being a criminal when Paul Rudd told his nine-year-old son he was going to play Ant-Man his son said wow I can't wait to see how stupid that's going to be I mean great support there totally Paul Rudd though isn't it uh, also credited for the development, uh, development of this movie was Anchorman and Don't Look Up director, which has recently come out on Netflix. Great film. And The Big Short as well. He's directed all of them. Adam McKay, getting a big fan of him at the moment. So I don't like Anchorman, but I like his other films and they're really good. Uh, so in fact, it was McKay and Rudd's idea, who knew each other quite well from the Anchorman days, to see Falcon in this movie. So they'd watched Winter Soldier and loved his character. And so they casually suggested to the producers to work him in the plot somehow. And the, and the producers were like, 
actually, that would make perfect sense since Falcon is now living at the new Avengers compound after Age of Ultron. So, yeah, okay, let's do it. And so that's why Falcon's in the movie. And they also convinced Bobby Cannaville to do the film too. They just said, you've got to do this role. It was made for you. And he thought he was going to be Ant-Man, but he was a stepdad. But he did it anyway because he was like, oh, cool, I'll get to be in this movie, which is really cool. And then he found out that Paul Rudd was Ant-Man. He was like, really? You're going to be Ant-Man? I mean, you're like 5'8". I guess you're small, so that works for Ant-Man. But you're a comedy actor playing a superhero. Can that be done? I mean, it can be done. His fellow Parks and Recreation co-star Chris Pratt managed to do it with Guardians of the Galaxy, so why not him? Turns out it worked out quite well, so there we go. And they said that the original, I think Michael Douglas said this in an interview, that the original suit didn't fit Paul Rudd because he had packed on some muscle for the role, so they had to soften up his costume. He was doing this like extensive training and workout regime in order to be convinced to play someone who had been to prison and, you know, has been in the fight before. So, at the end of Captain America, where Cap is running in the middle of New York, we see an advertisement for Baskin-Robbins, where we see where we find Scott Lang goes to to make some money. In this movie, we see a poster for Pingo Dois, which is the Brazilian soda company company that Bruce Banner works for in The Incredible Hulk, which is the thing that Stanley drinks out of, and is like, well, that's got a kick to it. And that's how they find out where The Incredible Hulk is hiding. Marvel does love their referencing in their movies. You just have to keep out an eye and an ear for them, like I said. And you will also see, right at the start of the movie, the Trisklian building being constructed at the start of the movie, set in 1989, which is the main HQ in Captain America Winter Soldier. So, loads and loads of referencing in this movie. So, Ant-Man, a first live action film that features this original Avenger in his own solo movie. The producer said that the main theme for this movie is sort of passing the torch theme along from Ping to Lang. This film's plot is actually quite similar to the 1998 film Mask of Zorro, where an older hero trains a thief to be a replacement and settles an old score on the two meantime. It's exactly the same plot. And you find this as well with Black, Black Panther as well. Black Panther has the exact same plot as uh, Rocky Free. So I don't know if they're doing this on purpose, but you know, you do have these kind of it's kind of how, how people said that Avatar had the same plot as Pocahontas. I mean, you do have the same generic plots in movies because so many are being done now. Just changing the characters a bit. Most of the Marvel movies, the main heroes are naturally the hero, Stark with his tech, Cap with his morales, Thor being born to a king, Banner with his knowledge of gamma radiation. But with Ant-Man, Lang is just a criminal that is incredibly good at stealing, proven to be smart as well, and a good-natured person, and simply comes across the Ant-Man costume through a series of unfortunate or fortunate events. Now, we know that Edgar Wright didn't direct the movie. They had to find a new director and quick because the studio was intended to hold on to its original release date because they had Edgar Wright's script and the cast. And Edgar hadn't casted most of the primary characters, including Ant-Man himself, so they could carry on doing it. They just needed someone to just jump in and fill in where he took off. In the run-in was Jordan Peele, but they eventually turned to Peyton Reed, a comedy director of his own, with films like Bring It On with Kirsten Dunst and Yes Man with Jim Carrey. And he simply had to just step in and work from where it was left off. It, it, it's, it was a good choice. Peyton Reed is actually a really laid-back director, and I think he was perfect for this role. Doesn't take himself too seriously like some of them, and he was, you know, real good fun to work with. This meant that the film's post-production team lost 10 weeks in the process to complete the film, which is incredible. They were also eyeing up other Ant-Mans in the time. In case Paul Rudd wasn't going to join because Edgar Wright's departure might have triggered something, um, they did look at other actors like Adrian Brody, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and Ewan McGregor. But then their producers agreed that, you know, Paul Rudd is actually perfect for the role and they kept him on. Uh, Emma Stone, Jessica Chastain were both offered the role of the Wasp, but they both couldn't commit due to the scheduling conflict. Evangelina Lilly was eventually casted and her role as Wasp was quite limited when Edgar Wright was originally on board, but after he left... Her screen time and dialogue went up quite a bit, thanks to Peyton Reed. Now, in the film, 
Hank Pym wants Scott to use an Ant-Man technology to pull off a heist, where in the comic books, Lang stole the suit from Pym to pull off enough heist to save his sick daughter. When Pym finds this out in the comic books, he did just let him keep the suit as long as he uses the suit for heroic purposes. But in this movie, yeah, he, he wants a thief to take the suit so he can get his particles back or just to spy on Cross to see if he's any closer to finding his own um, pin particles. Now, Cassie does end up taking the mantle, but is known as Giant Girl or Stature, as she is later known in the comics. I think she even adopts a pet ant while Scott is an Ant-Man. Marvel tries to run parallels there with other films, re- referencing movies from future or previous films all the time. This is a challenge and fun they have with creating this massive universe with over 25 films existing in it with more coming i mean you can even see newspaper headlines like who's to blame for sokovia amongst the advertisement boards to reoccurring characters from the past or present it's a pretty fun film to watch like the mcu movies when you're involved with the other movies ant-man in particular draws merry parallels to the first iron man movie as they are you know basically the same characters i mean this film might be the closing of phase two and iron man was the beginning of phase one but there are a stupid amount of similarities with the two heroes more specifically the two films for example both have a revolutionary and technological advanced crime-fighting suit and is replicated and modified to become more lethal. A former colleague or friend has ambitions to sell this suit to people with antagonistic purposes, Cross and Crane, who both happen to be bold as well. And they also die by the suit they have created too. Both Iron Man and Ant-Man must protect the ones they love by using the suit itself to fight the villain. Both characters of trial and error with the suit, but sometimes the comedic effect effect you know the assistants both of them turn out to be the heroes later on hope and pepper which both happen to be the love interest both movies also end with the implications that the hero actions have earned their places in the avengers you know littered with parallels to the first iron man which makes sense since iron man is the first avenger in the mcu universe and ant-man in the comic books is one of the first avengers so that kind of does make sense that they're quite parallel in terms of how they made the movies they also happen to be the two i think only two is it two of them yeah two avengers alongside with barton who have kids so coincidentally all of them have used the pin particle as well which is an interesting parallel to make ant-man marks the 12th movie in the marvel cinematic universe the last one of phase two and had an incredible budget of around 150 million dollars and it grossed on a global scale around half a billion dollars so it was an extremely successful addition to the mcu universe so Peyton Reed, of course, had incredible fun doing this movie and signed up for the sequel without hesitation. I think he had signed on for the third movie too, which does mark the first time the same director has directed a trilogy within the Marvel Universe. I think James Gunn will shortly follow him with Guardians of the Galaxy. But because Guardians of the Galaxy is now merging with Thor, you know, I think Taika Waititi is directing that, but I think Peyton Reed might be the first one to actually get a full trilogy under his belt inside the MCU Universe. So there is no question, though, that this is a playful movie that brings us back to those monster movies that comes to love with PG-rated stories and with an R-rated evil genius villain who suddenly comes to blow at the end. This movie has so much to offer in terms of the father-son arc that takes away forms in many ways. I mean, Hank Pym's relationship with his daughter and the truth behind the death or disappearance of their of their mother and the lies he has to tell his daughter to sort of protect is always lingering in the background. The one the movie draws on the most is that Pym neglects Cross, his protege, for the greater good, and is also trying to reconnect with his daughter at the same time. And then you have this new father-son bond between Hank and Scott, the main character, kind of like in Mask of Zorro between Anthony Hopkins and Antonio Banderas. I mean, he's taken him under his belt. The new protege. 
And then you have the obvious one, you know, Scott and his daughter Cassie, where this relationship is the trigger that causes Scott to get involved in all of this in the first place. This is what makes Marvel movies quite an easy watch. The stories are relatable. They are easy on the eye with the glamour of the special effects. The actors that we've grown up with and the classic binary stories of good versus evil. And each movie acts as an episode to this massive marvel tv series and when does it end we don't know it'll just keep going hopefully and that's what we're hoping for i mean you could have easily ended it after infinity war or Endgame, but no we're in for a new phase and now we're already got we've got characters left right and center that we're already falling in love with like florence Pugh and black widow we're loving her and you know hawkeye and doctor strange and spider-man these you know the new captain america maybe and even captain zemo in loki and you know you've got these characters flying everywhere and those are the ones that we've already seen. We don't know anything about the new Blade or the Captain Fantastic or, you know, the Fantastic Four or, or you know, She-Hulk. There are so many possibilities and, you know, it's a money-making machine. Um, I mean, that's the thing we have come to love with the Marvel Universe, the expectations built up from the previous 11 films. And we know what we can expect when we just, you know, do it with a different character. We know that we're going to see a post credit scene or two. We know we're going to get a Stan Lee cameo in this film. He's the bartender who's, who's, who's like... She's crazy, stupid, fine. And I wonder what his best cameo is. Who knows? But, you know, that one's got to be up there. We also know that we're going to get a nice Easter egg F reference dotted around the film. And I've already talked about the ones that we have in this movie. And you know the hero's going to have to go through some growth or personal discoveries to become the hero that everyone wants them to be, most especially the audience. That's why it's so easy to fall in love with this universe, these characters, and these stories that interconnect throughout 26 movies and more are coming. Each phase acts as a season to this ever-expanding series that is titled MCU. Anyways, that's all I have time for with Ant-Man. It's great and a needed addition to the Marvel Universe. It's certainly a fan favorite. And we have confirmation that the third Ant-Man will be part of Phase 4, maybe Phase 5. Probably Phase 4 since its inside source has confirmed that it has finished filming now at Pinewood Studios. And the title has been released. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. God knows how much trouble they will cause when they continue to fight battle at a subatomic level. Anyway, please subscribe to me on iTunes, Google, Spotify, and also on Amazon Play. And you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter, but mainly Instagram. That's Film Exploration AH, all lowercase, all one word. But once again, thank you for listening to Season 10 with Film Exploration with Ash Hurry. <laughs>